What's up, Batty Bees? I'm Brianna, mom, wife, serial entrepreneur, and host of the Badass Basic Bitch podcast. Each week, I sit down with a seemingly ordinary woman who's doing extraordinary things, and I get to share her story with you. So let's go. Buckle up as we're going to get real and dive into the shit nobody talks about. Welcome to the Batty Bee Club. And I think that that is what is often missing in friendships, that sometimes it can be hard to know how to grow with someone when you realize that they are experiencing major life transitions. I think sometimes you might find the things that kept them bonded change. So maybe we became friends because we were two single women who were always hanging out late at night, and now you're partnered. And so there's a huge shift in our relationship because what we had in common was we love hanging out late. The person will say, I'm so sorry, I don't have my wallet. Or, and that's a common thing. Girl, you, you know, got, you got Venmo and Zelly. You got your phone. Okay, no, you can't use that excuse anymore. <laughs> right. Exactly, right? And so because of all the resources available to us, when someone is like, I don't have my wallet, my mm-hmm. Zelle isn't working, mm-hmm. that is a sign that like somebody is manipulating you and also trying to financially abuse you. Welcome back to another episode of Badass Basic Bitch. On today's episode, we are joined by Mina B, who is an author, speaker, therapist, and mental health educator who teaches people how to cultivate self-efficiency and build community. And today, we are going to be exploring the complexities of adult friendships and their impact on our mental and emotional well-being. Um, so we are going to dive all in to everything from discerning genuine friendships from superficial ones um, to managing the end of friendships, establishing important boundaries, and understanding the critical role community plays in personal healing. So thank you so much for being with us today, Mina. Thank you so much for having me. Um, before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yeah, so I am a licensed social worker and the author of the book, Owning Our Struggles. I have been practicing as a social worker for over 10 years now. I decided to get into the field because of my own struggles with anxiety, depression, and trauma stemming from childhood. And then when I decided to become a social worker, I studied the clinical track. So I was working as a therapist where I also was working with clients who struggle with anxiety, depression, and trauma, primarily with women. But I also worked in early Head Start with children ages zero to five to help them develop their social emotional skills. And then in 2021, that is when I transitioned to corporate wellness. And so now I work with organizations to help them develop psychological safety. And then I also work with, um, you know, people from the public and just engaging with my fans through my um, different mediums. So Instagram, where I'm sharing different mental health um, digestible forms of content, but also again, in my book, Owning Our Struggles, um, which was recently debuted, which is another way that I'm able to serve my audience. That is so awesome. How did you get onto this path? You talked about your own struggles, your own childhood trauma, but why community and relationships? Well, I think it's because we are biologically wired for community. And often when we talk about mental health and we're talking about the trauma we experience, I generally find that 
people are experiencing trauma because of the relationships they already exist in. And when you don't heal those trauma wounds, you might find yourself moving further away from relationships. And that is how we find people who struggle with high levels of loneliness, high levels of depression, anxiety. And it's because we are wired to be connected to people. We are wired to be in healthy relationships. And so I think community care is a conversation that isn't talked about enough. I think in therapy, it can be very eye-focused. And so it's, this is what I've gone through. This is my history. This is how someone has hurt me. But one of the things we also need to focus on is the we, which is how do I integrate back into a society despite the fact that I've been hurt by people in my community or as well in society. Um, one of my favorite books is What Happened to You. Have you read that book yet? I have not. <gasps> you... It, you need to read it. Um, and I don't normally say that to people, but like, you need to read it. It's by uh, Dr. Bruce Perry and um, and Oprah Winfrey. They put this book together and it's all about that. It's changing the mindset and focus of like, what's wrong with you? What, what you know, someone did to me or like what I did or how I respond or my anxiety and this and that. And it really goes into the, um, what happened to you surrounding your community? What did your, what happened in that, um, time frame or situation or experience, and then rebuilding that healing through very community focused, relationship focused. It's so fascinating. So when I look at your book, the owning your struggles, which I love this title, like if you were to sum up what you should do in three words, that's what it is. I would love for you to talk a little bit more about your book, like what is it providing and what motivated you to actually write it? So what motivated me to write the book um, was honestly the coronavirus pandemic <laughs> and the things that was happening during the year of 2020, because that is when I wrote the proposal for the book. So that was when I was really brainstorming and outlining. I know I want to write a book on community care, but what is the main focus of the book and how do I really want to drill into this topic? And what I found was that people who had been doing all of this healing work, 2020 came, and I found a lot of people were struggling to integrate back into society. People were struggling to build and maintain relationships, maybe because during the pandemic, they actually lost loved ones. So they were dealing with grief and loss, but they were also dealing with loss in a context that our communities fell apart. So a lot of people found themselves moving out of dense populations. So those people who moved, they found themselves having to move further away from friends and family in order to feel safe. And I think also the people who are left behind struggles with that as well. Also thinking of it from a social justice lens, that was the year that Breonna Taylor was murdered, George Floyd was murdered. Um, there were a lot of stabbings happening in the Asian American community. And then U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy declared that we were living in a loneliness epidemic. So I found that here we are living in a society where we're talking about mental health, talking about wellness, but we don't talk about community. And we're not talking about community care. And that was a time, that was a time in life that I felt like we needed community the most. 
We needed connectedness and togetherness the most. And I think a lot of people struggled on what does that actually look like? I know I'm yearning for connection. I know I'm yearning for love and safe relationships, but how do I actually do the work of obtaining it? I've done all of this work to investigate who I am, why I am the way I am, my family history, all of these things. I know a lot about myself, but I don't know how to build relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for doing that because a lot of people are going to find value in it. Um, I'm going to make a confession about adult friendships and this. So when was it? Tuesday, like a couple days ago, Reagan, um, she's my second oldest. She was at dance and these two girls who were in her class came in and they're like best friends and they're like, hi, Reagan, how are you? And I could tell that she didn't, she felt uncomfortable and I was like, oh, that was, that was interesting. And and, my, and she has like no problem making friends, right? So I go to her and I'm like, hey, like why, like what does something happen with so-and-so and so-and-so in you? And she's like, no, um, but I would like to spend time with them. So can you ask their moms if they can do um, like a dinner with them or like a play date? And like there was this instant feeling from me as an adult be like, oh, I would never do that. <laughs> I would never <laughs> reach out to people who I was like, I'm not really sure. Are we friends? And like, we should hang out, you know? And so at first I wanted to be like, no, no, you know? But then I was like, okay. She was like, can you take out your phone right now and ask their parents? And I was like, it made me feel so uncomfortable. I don't know. Cause I'm like, you know, I don't have her confidence. And I like messaged them within 30 minutes. Both of their moms were like, absolutely. Oh my God, that's so sweet. Yes, let's do it. And I was like, is it that easy? (laughs) (laughs) Is it that easy? And, and I was like, oh, do you want to invite your other friends, like your best friends? And she's like, no, that's the problem. When I'm with my best friends, I focus on them, but I want to get to know these girls. And I was like, oh my God, like, how do I channel you? Um, And so my question to you is I think a lot of people feel similar ways is why do you think friendships in adulthood are so different from our younger years? Like, why does it feel so much harder? Mm. Well, I think as we become adults, we are more in tune with anxiety, fear, all of those different emotions that when you are a child, you haven't necessarily experienced great levels of rejection, great levels of failure, all of these things may be feeling ostracized. Now, there are children who do experience that, but I do think that children have more of a natural state where they're curious and they're not afraid to lean into that curiosity. Where I think as adults, we're curious, but the longer you have been exposed to trauma and the longer that you've experienced trauma, the more you feel afraid. And when you don't have safety, it's going to be hard to put yourself out there. And when you can't develop safety on your own, and what I mean by that is learning to regulate yourself and learning to discern between people who are actively present in the in the in the future right present here in the moment not in the future but present in the moment versus people who are were present in your past 
Because I think sometimes we say to ourselves, I don't want to reach out to that person because I'm thinking about the last time I was re- was rejected six months ago by this person. And it's like, well, that's not this person though, right? And we have to be able to give people chances to show us who they are. So I do think that children are more keen to being curious and open, where as adults, I just think that the older you get, the more you learn, the more you experience, the more hardships you're exposed to. And so you're trying to do everything to keep yourself safe. And you don't realize that sometimes what you're doing is putting up walls. Yeah. Yeah. What about our different stages in life? Marriage, divorce, career changes, becoming a parent, how did how do all these stages impact the friendships that we have or maintain? You know, I think about it in the concept of marriage, right? Because when you get married to someone, if the goal is to be married long term, which I think many that is many people's goals and sometimes it doesn't happen. But at the end of the day when you do make the choice to get married, you're going into it believing that this is going to be a long-term relationship. And there's in this idea and understanding that we are going to grow as individuals, but how can we also grow together? Because let's say when we get married, we don't have children. But now we're going to evolve and we're going to become parents. And so that's a new transition, even in the marriage. Maybe um, one person is quitting their job. Maybe one person got laid off. And so now our careers might impact our marriage. We're aging and our children are aging. So that might impact our marriage. And so we're still growing as people, but the goal is to learn to grow together. And I think that that is what is often missing in friendships, that sometimes it can be hard to know how to grow with someone when you realize that they are experiencing major life transitions. I think sometimes you might find people who the things that kept them bonded change. So maybe we became friends because we were two single women who were always hanging out late at night, and now you're partnered. And so there's a huge shift in our relationship because what we had in common was we love hanging out late and we love doing these things. And now you're partnered and now you're telling me you're pregnant and you're about to have a baby. So now that's going to change even more. And so the dynamic of our relationship is changing. So I find that that is something that a lot of people struggle with. And I think too, it's not normalized enough the idea of growing with your friends. We hear a lot of language around relationships. Even when a person's marriage is suffering, we encourage them to go to marriage counseling. We encourage them to seek therapy around their marital marital problems, but nobody really says if you're dealing with the friendship rupture, maybe you both should go to therapy, right? And so there also is this normalized language for people who are coupled, but I think for friendships, we don't really have language to understand how do I actually navigate change in my friendship? And the same way we talk about growing as a married couple, how do you actually grow with your friend? And I think that is something that's missing. And that's why it was really important for me to weave that in my book. When I talked about relationships, Chapter five really moves the reader from singleness to relationships to friendships because there really is no language around friendships other than the word friend, (laughs) right? And we don't know how to navigate that. And so I think it's really important to just learn to normalize what it means to grow in a friendship. Yeah. And God, what an interesting concept of like, it's so true. You're in, you're in with a partner 
for a year and you're having little bats, it's like, we'll go to therapy. But if you had a friend for 10 years and you're in a bat, it's like, meh, you know, like, do you want this to, to move forward? So <laughs> another small confession, um, I've had a friend for five years now. I'm, I'm, she was the, one of the first friends that I made when my son started kindergarten and he's in fourth grade now. And we really connected and I have done a lot for her and vice versa. Um, All birthday parties, all the stuff, et cetera. We tried to start a business with another woman and it did not go well. And so long story short, I backed out of the business, but not ultimately by choice. It was just like my personality did not mesh well with these two women's personalities in a business setting. And I'm very self-aware and I was like, okay, I'm, you know, going to back away then and that's okay. And this friend that I've been friends with for five years took that as like, I'm done with you as a friend. Um, And I didn't even realize this until another mutual friend said something to me and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought we were good. Like, what happened? And I, for me, I'm the kind of person that I'll call you right up and be like, I heard this. Like, we need to talk. And we're still kind of working it out. But it's such an interesting concept of bringing in a mediator, like a third party. That's not a mutual friend that's going to be like, I'm just going to hear and like poke holes at everything, right? It's just someone who um, mediates and allows you to each tell your side and work through it. I actually might suggest that to her next time because we're still kind of like this awkward thing. And I'm like, I don't know why we're so awkward, but clearly there's more that you need to tell me. Um, (laughs) So I like that suggestion. Kind of playing off of that, I have been in situations because I am uh, a recovering codependent. (laughs) I still have codependent tendencies, but I find myself in friendships or connections where I'm just a people pleaser, giving, giving, giving. What signs can we learn from you that um, can help us decipher, is this a genuine or inauthentic connection of the friendship? So one, I think what's really important is to discern what you are hoping to gain out of this relationship, right? Because I think sometimes we meet people and we're craving deep connections. And so we really want like a relationship where I can tell you anything and it can really go deep. And then there are times where we might also have to be honest with ourselves and say, you know what? I may not have the capacity right now to take on something really, really deep. I may not have the capacity right now to taking another best friend, right? Like maybe I just have the capacity right now to say, you know what, we're acquaintances. And I think the the reason why I'm starting there is because often we don't realize that friendships falls on a spectrum. And so I think we meet people and because we like the person, we immediately say, well, that person is my friend. And when I would work with my clients, I will hear the stories that they would share about people. And I would say, well, is that your friend or is that just someone that you know? Because there's a big difference. And maybe the thing that you're desiring, this person that you just know, isn't willing to give it or isn't there yet with you because it's a new relationship, but you're quickly calling it a friendship. 
So I think that's an important starting point because sometimes I think codependency does manifest as soon as we meet someone, depending on how much we like about them, or let's say they're in a space where they are struggling with something, we might feel like we have to earn our right into a friendship with them, or we might feel as if we have to um, self-abandon. And that's what I mean by earning a friendship with someone, right? Feeling like I have to self-abandon or self-neglect to be seen as worthy by this individual because I like them so much. And so those are some signs that we can be paying attention to, but I think the starting point is to know we're on the spectrum of friendship does this person fall? Other things to pay attention to is understanding at the root of any relationship, we need trust, safety, vulnerability, and reciprocity. You will be burnt out by friendships if you find that you are the only person doing all the work in that friendship. Amen. If you, yes. <laughs> Say yes. it louder. <laughs> yes, a one-sided relationship is going to lead to burnout. Yeah. If you are in a relationship with someone who is not intentional about nourishing and cultivating a relationship with you, this is someone who maybe checks in with you, someone who asks you questions to know how you're doing instead of always dumping and sharing and complaining and seeking something, they also show interest in you. They want to know how your day is going. They're thoughtful. And so those are things that are really important to pay attention to. Another thing, going back to that self-abandonment, I think it's important to pay attention to chronic niceness because that's where the people pleasing comes in. And so chronic niceness could look like, I met this person, I really like them, they're my friends, so I feel like I can't have boundaries. If they say, I want to come over this weekend, oh my gosh, I, I guess I have to say yes, even though I'm really exhausted, or even though I know I have plans, maybe I have to cancel my plans to accommodate this person. And so those are signs that you have to pay attention to because that is people pleasing. And what we have to remember is sometimes people don't know that you're people-pleasing. And so you know you're people-pleasing, but the other person just thinks this is who you are. They think you're doing what you want to do. And this is why I talk a lot about community care being we focused so that we're not just thinking about ourselves and understanding that there's always another person on the other side that is impacted by us and our behaviors. And so the reason why learning to really be firm in your boundaries, learning to use discernment in these relationships is important because it not just benefits you, it also benefits the other party so that they know who they're getting and they know how to show up for you authentically instead of you wearing a mask and pretending to be this particular person that you know that you can't continue to be long-term. Yeah. that You gave really good advice, and I want to repeat it, of the you know, someone who you're going to get burned out, right? You're going to get burned out if you're constantly giving or you're the one that's taking all of the the, the hits of because someone wants to complain to you. Um, someone gave me really good advice once because I was I had I had a friend who I was like, I have to plan everything. I'm always the one reaching out. I'm always the one planning. I'm always the one organizing. I'm going out of my way. And um another friend looked at me and just said, Okay, for three months, don't do anything. Don't text them, don't call them, don't ask to go out, do nothing. And I'm like, Okay. And they're like, and if they don't do anything, you have your answer. 
And I just thought that was really telling because this was somebody who was like, you know, every week, every, almost like every other day reaching out. How are you? How is it? How's this? I saw your kid, everything, right? And so I stopped. And for three months, I didn't get a single message, a single call, a single anything. And that was really hard for me to swallow because I was like, wow, I've invested years of this to that person. I was like, okay, well, maybe maybe there's like a crisis or an emergency. Like, you know, I got to give some grace. And so I just kept stopping. Like I didn't do anything. Um, you know, I'm going on like nine months, not a word. And I like what you said there, because if I didn't stop, if I didn't pause and say, am, am I also receiving in this relationship, in this friendship? I would still be giving it and like going out of my way thinking that I was building something valuable here. But in reality, I'm pouring my energy into someone who doesn't really deserve it when I could be pouring it into someone else who can be returning it. Um, and so I like that. I love that suggestion that another person gave me. And I love what you're saying here because I think everyone listening can relate to the friendship burnout and not sure what they're going to do. Yeah. And it can be really hard. You know, I think that um, it's important for people to realize that they are also deserving of reciprocity and friendships. And I like that you share this story because you're able to see that I do deserve to be around people who are interested in knowing how I'm doing and care about my well-being. And I think that's also a factor that people who are codependent overlook, that you too deserve to be nourished. Right. And during this time, like I had a breast cancer scare and I'm pretty open on social media. I post about it. I know that they read it and they never once even asked me, how are you doing? How is your test results? How is this? And so it, I, I think for people listening, like, it can be hard to feel that truth, but God, don't you want to feel it now than 10 years into something? Um, and that's why it can be hard. And I think that goes into my next question of like, how do we navigate these changes and breakups and friendships? Like, what's what's your advice there to um, disconnect? You know, when we find ourselves dealing with friendship breakups, I think we have to normalize that that is a form of grief and loss. I think a lot of people hear the term grief and they immediately think death, the death of a loved one or someone that you know. And that's not always the case. Grief is a response to any form of loss or major change, especially if it's a loss or change that disrupted your life and one that you had an attachment to. And so, It can be really hard to lose a friendship that was meaningful to you. It can be really hard to lose a friendship that you invested so much time and energy in. You know, think about projects that you complete in your home or different tasks that you fulfill that you pour into. You utilize your time, your money, your resources, and imagine this thing just falling through, right? After you gave so much of yourself. And that's what it can look like in a friendship, you know, understanding that I met someone who I cared about. I poured into them. I invested in them. 
I didn't get anything in return. And so now I'm realizing that one, I have to deal with the grief that comes from knowing that this person wasn't engaging in any form of reciprocity and isn't caring enough to be intentional because that brings up a wound. And now the other wound is having to let go of it and having to just really reconcile with that loss and realize that, you know what, this is someone that was meaningful to me um, and letting go of something is painful. And as humans, we just have to honor and accept that pain is a part of that process of letting go, but it is better to let go and deal with that pain so that you can get to a state of relief eventually versus staying in something that you're not happy in or staying in something that's keeping you stuck or has you feeling miserable or depressed and the outcome just being you being unfulfilled and happy and unhappy in this relationship. Yeah. How can I and other people avoid from having this pattern in friendship where for future friendships where we just continue to find people who are similar? Because for some reason it's comfortable and we go to that. Um, but what's your advice there for a self-reflection, learning to remove ourselves from that pattern behavior? Well, I would encourage you and people who are listening to think of those relationships that you're talking about and start to really backpedal and say, when was the first red flag an indicator to me that there's something about this relationship that maybe I shouldn't continue to move forward in? The reason why I say that is because um, we attract all kinds of people. So there really is not, I attract one type of person we attract many people. It's just that we choose certain people over others, right? And so even in the context of dating, you know, I talk about this in my book that when I hear people saying, why do I attract this particular partner? Well, you have to assess what are the qualities about this person that you like because you're attracting a lot of people. You're not just attracting one caliber of a person. The problem is there are certain characteristics that you like in people. And so these people present themselves and you choose them and you reject the others. And so in the context of friendship, I think we also have to ask ourselves the same things. We have to ask ourselves, what are the things and the, in what ways are we clinging to people? What are our standards around relationships? And once we recognize our standards, we have to start paying attention to those red flags. And so if you look back, you might be able to say, you know what, during that crisis, when I shared about me having breast cancer, a breast cancer scare, when I shared certain things and I realized even then this person wasn't even being in tune with me because they were liking the post. So I know that they were informed about my life. They were liking the post, but still no check-in, still no, how are you? And months had gone by, then maybe that's a sign to me that you know what, this isn't something that I probably should continue to move forward in. Or if I am going to, then I need to adjust the degree of closeness. Because sometimes it's not just you have to cut people out your life, but I think sometimes people will show you that you're trying to have a close connection with them. And maybe on their end, they're showing you that they have not earned a right to be in your circle of intimacy. So you might realize, you know what, 
this is just someone I'm going to keep as an acquaintance because I realize what I want from a friend who um, is in my circle of intimacy. I want someone who checks on me. I want someone who actually picks up the phone to see how I'm doing versus just liking a picture on Instagram. Right? I want people who are intentional. So for those people who are not meeting my standards around what I feel keeps me safe and nourished in relationships, then those people may just be my acquaintances and people that I know. And instead of me looking for them to have deep, meaningful relationships, I'll just be mindful and pay attention to the people who are actually giving me the things that I feel are satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That can play into boundaries next. Because setting boundaries, for me, I feel like I am didn't used to be good at this, but I am very good at this. But it's to the point where sometimes people are offended by it. Like, because it's it's different, especially people that I've interacted with in the past and I had no boundaries. All of a sudden, when you have them, they're like, why are you attacking me? Or like, why are you being so aggressive about this? So I'd love for you to talk about like, why is setting boundaries in relationships important, number one, especially in adulthood, but then also how to set them without causing harm in friendships? Yeah. So boundaries are pretty much the limits that we set in place. And we set these limits because we recognize that we can't be everything to everyone. And so we all have an energetic bandwidth and there are going to be times where we realize I can't give anymore. My cup is empty. I'm depleted. And so, or you might find that this makes me uncomfortable, right? And so there is something here where I have to realize I need to draw a line in the sand and I'm going to communicate that with you so that you have a clear understanding of what I can be to you and what I can't be to you. Now, the second part of your question is a bit tricky because at the end of the day, we're humans who have emotions and boundaries is an act of preservation. It is not an act of control. So when you set a boundary, what you're doing is you're informing someone about what your limit is, but you cannot control how a person chooses to respond to your boundary. So I think one of the reframes that we all have to walk away with is knowing that I might set a boundary with someone who is offended by it and I can't control their emotional response. People are allowed to have emotions. And I think one of the things that we have to do is learn to get comfortable with difficult emotions. See, I think what's going, what's happening in relationships with people and around boundaries is they feel like I'm setting this boundary and you have to be okay with it. So the moment that there's any indicator that you're upset or hurt by it, how dare you? And I think one of the things that we as people have to do is own that I can't control your emotional responses. That's number one. Number two, you actually have permission to be angry. You actually have permission to be hurt. You actually have a per permission to maybe be sad about it because those are your feelings. I can't control how you feel and I should not also try to dictate how you feel. And so if I set my boundary with you, whatever your emotional response is, that's your work to do. That's your work to work through. But I think one of the things that's happening is we as a culture are starting to feel like if I set a boundary, 
you have to be okay with that boundary. And then the moment someone shows any form of um, negative reaction to that boundary, it creates further complications. And I think what we as people just have to be okay with knowing is that people are allowed to be upset. And I think the reason why that's hard for people is because when you know someone is upset, you feel uncomfortable. And the next layer to this is we as people have to learn how to deal with discomfort. And we also have to teach ourselves that discomfort is not a synonymous with being unsafe. Discomfort is not synonymous with harm. You just feel uncomfortable by someone being angry. And you, the boundary giver, also has to be learn, learn to deal with that. So the same way we want people to learn to deal with our boundaries, we need to learn to deal with people's emotional reactions to our boundaries. Now, an emotional reaction is not the same as a behavior because you can be angry about my boundary and say, you know what? I'm really frustrated. You could use your words. You could communicate and say, you know what, Mina? I'm really taken aback and I need time. That is actually a healthy way to deal with anger. So I'm not saying tolerate someone deciding to curse you out maybe become physically abusive. That is not what I'm saying because that now is action, that is behavior. But when it comes to emotion, we also as boundary givers have to learn to be okay with knowing that people are going to have an emotional reaction to our boundaries and they actually have permission to feel things. And that's all they're doing. They're feeling something. And if it makes us uncomfortable, we have to pay attention to when our people-pleasing mechanisms are kicking in. Because what happens is we feel uncomfortable by the anger, so we start to get angry ourselves and say, now I have to break my boundary because you're angry. And the person is saying, well, yeah, I'm human. I'm just having a reaction to it, but I didn't say that you have to break your boundary for me. I'm just feeling something. And I think that is the cycle that a lot of people have to learn to reframe around emotional resilience and just what it means to set boundaries in a healthy way. Always remember your decisions impact and lands on another human being and they also have permission to fail things. Yeah. What great like perspective of setting boundaries because I couldn't have done a better job myself. That's why you wrote, <laughs> that's why you're the author, <laughs> not me. I'm like, it's like you're reading my mind, but I, do, I, I couldn't even come up with these words. No, really, it's, it's articulated very well because I do think that some people struggle, especially in today's world, uh, in the TikTok of the world where it's like, my boundary is this, you have to do blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, no, I don't. And I don't have to like your boundary, you know, like I can be upset by it, but that's my feelings. You can't tell me that I, you can't label me as a sexist or whatever, because I, I'm upset with what you're saying versus action. Um, you tell me what your boundaries are and then I make an action to go against your boundaries on purpose, like different things. Um, so I like that perspective. Um, I'd love to ask you about rekindling old friendships. Um, how do you feel about this for like rekindling <laughs> old friendships that may have faded away over the time? Like, what are your initial thoughts? Asking for a friend. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Asking for a friend. Um, you know, well, no relationship is equal. So I can't say that I have a generalized response to that. 
Yeah. Um, because I think I would want to know a little more about one, why did the friendship end and what has changed? What is leading you to rekindle something? You know, sometimes people will say, well, our friendship faded away because this person moved and it just became harder and harder to maintain the relationship. They live 3,000 miles away. They have children. We're in a different time zone. And so our friendship didn't dissipate, but it definitely faded to some extent. And maybe the person moved back to town and we can rekindle things. So I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with that. I also wouldn't say that's unhealthy, but I also think that's a different scenario compared to someone who say who will say, well, I was in a friendship with someone who was really emotionally abusive and I told them about themselves and I told them what I did not like and I set my boundaries with them. They got really upset with me and decided they never wanted to speak to me again. And now a year later, here they are texting me saying that they miss me and that they want to have brunch and they kind of want to pick up where we left off. And for something like that, I might say, hmm, yeah, maybe we need to investigate this a little more because can you actually pick up where you left off if you never really repaired the rupture that took place? You know, so I definitely think it requires discernment. And I always say that if you are going to rekindle something, you have to really do the work of investigating your why. And missing people isn't enough to say that is why I want to rekindle a relationship. Because of course you miss people. People are not all bad and people are not all good. So there are going to be qualities and characteristics about that friendship that you might actually miss. But just because you miss someone doesn't mean those other characteristics that were problematic have gone away. Yeah. Yeah. My son um, has uh, this boy at school and he came home and was telling me about him because he was like, I don't like playing with him, but I also don't like playing alone. And I was like, God, that hits as an adult <laughs> because sometimes we may have more toxic relationships, friendships, because it's harder to watch other people go out and have lunch and have parties and go on vacation together than, you know, be in that group, but not really fully enjoy it. Um, and I thought, yeah, I was telling my son, like, God, that's relatable. But sometimes we have to be alone because when we're with that person, if we're not feeling good, then it's not it's not better than being alone, you know? Um, so I thought that was kind of relatable in the sense of like, do you rekindle uh, old friendships, right? It's like, is it because you just don't want to be alone? Or um, <laughs> is it because of the other reasons you said? Um, okay, there was a period maybe like a couple months ago, I was just not in a great place. And I go to my husband and I'm just like, I just want no friends. I'm done with all friends. I'm... <laughs> I'm just, I was probably tired. I want no friends in my life. I'm going to be just you. You're my best friend. And he's like, yeah, you'll last three days with that because um, I'm very extroverted. But from your perspective, can you discuss the impact of friendships in adulthood on mental health? Um, the pros and cons, too, of it, or the positives and negatives. Well, any relationship can impact our mental health, especially if it is a unhealthy relationship. If it is a relationship where, um, like we talked earlier, it, we, there's no reciprocity. 
it's one-sided. So you're giving, you're giving, and this is something you're making an investment in and there is no effort or intentionality in return. And so you kind of feel abandoned in that relationship. And it's hard for you to try to maintain something that requires two people to maintain. Other things that can happen in friendships is different forms of abuse that can impact your mental health. And so we know physical abuse is generally the one that is um, more common and known in our society around what abuse is, but a lot of people don't recognize when they are experiencing emotional abuse in friendships, even mental abuse, financial abuse, even spiritual abuse. So paying attention to those things might look like, how do your friends speak to you? Are they bullying you? Are they always criticizing you? Do your friends also try to isolate you from your peers? Because sometimes bullies or people who are trying to really keep you close and isolated from um, safe relationships, they will really try to ensure that they have power over you. So they kind of want to keep you to your to themselves. And the way they do that is they might do things like gossip around about the other person and make the other person sound so terrible to the point where it's like, you really shouldn't want to hang out with that girl anymore. I know we're all friends, but like you probably don't want to be around this person one-on-one. Or they might say things like, they might start lies or spread rumors and say, this person was talking about you and saying all of these mean things and I'm here for you. I'm here to listen. So they would really big themselves up in the friendship and in the relationship um, so that you can have someone to go to who is nourishing you and making you feel good all while they're trying to isolate you from your other friend groups. Um, financial abuse in a friendship could look like someone who um, you know, clearly is trying to abuse your finances, someone who is always asking for money, someone who says, I'll borrow money from you and give it back, and they never do. Um, sometimes it could even go as far as someone stealing from you. Stealing items from your home, stealing from you monetarily. I'll hear stories a lot where people will say, I go out with my friend and we'll go out to dinner. And when we get there, the person will say, I'm so sorry, I don't have my wallet. Or and that's a common thing. Girl, you, you know? got you got Venmo and Zelly. You got your phone. Okay. No, you can't use that excuse anymore. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. And so because of all the resources available to us, when someone is like, I don't have my wallet, my mm-hmm. Zell isn't working, mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. cash app is down, my battery died. And it's like, girl, this is like the fifth time. This has happened. Yeah. Right. And that these are real stories that I've actually heard from people. And so that is a sign that like somebody is manipulating you and also trying to financially abuse you. You know, why are you waiting until we get to an establishment to say you don't have money? You've already trapped me here and there's a strong likelihood I'm going to stay. I'm not going to leave and drive 45 minutes back home, you know? And so that's how people engage in those really manipulative tactics. And so those are some things that I would encourage people to pay attention to because the more you are in relationships with people who are abusing you in those different ways, the more it's going to impact your well-being. 
It's going to impact your mental health because you're going to feel frustrated consistently. You're going to feel burnt out if every time you're hanging out with this friend, um, there's a lot of negativity, they're being mean, they're being cruel to you. They're also, you know, being manipulative and leaving their wallet home every time. Um, so those things aren't going to make us feel good. And if you are someone who already has pre-existing mental health conditions, if you're struggling with anxiety and you're around someone who doesn't make you feel safe, you're always going to be in a state of anxiousness. You're always going to be hypervigilant, scanning your surroundings and wondering, oh my gosh, like I had brunch with this person this Saturday, but I wonder if they're going to have their wallet. I'll text them and remind them, but I did that last time and they still showed up without their wallet. Or I wonder if like, if I call my friend for advice, are they going to say mean things to me and blame me for everything, right? That is, that's hypervigilance in a relationship. And so before you even engage with a person, your nervous system is in a state of shock and fear because you have had numerous encounters with this person that helps you to understand that they don't make you feel safe. And that is how poor relationships can impact our mental health. Yeah. For anyone listening, I feel like the first time someone does that, you know, you give them that benefit of the doubt, but the next time you're like, okay. If there happens to be a third time, when you sit down, tell the waiter that you want separate checks immediately when you're ordering, right? Like, or just don't hang out with that person anymore. Um, But that's just crazy that it's like a repetitive financial abuse. I've never had that happen to me. Like, I've legitimately forgotten my wallet, but I'm like, oh, I'll I'll, I'll Venmo you. Um, Or someone else saying that. But like, man, isn't it? It just blows my mind of... Um, how people will take advantage of others in that situation. Um, it's really sad. So yeah, I, 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 I hear you. I think also like what you said too that I love is um, having that community is going to, when it's a good community, it really uh, has you thriving as a person. It has you wanting to do better things, whether it's for your actual community or school or yourself. And so really um, taking a look around and seeing and evaluating your inner circle. And I like how you said your inner intimate circle, because it's okay to take someone out of that circle and just put them in the wider circle and then put other people in or just have a smaller intimate inner circle. I like the adaptability there. It doesn't have to be concrete. Where can listeners find out more about you, your work? Are there any other upcoming projects besides your book? Um, Give us all those details. Yes. Well, people can find me first on my website, www.minab.com. And that's Mina, M-I-N-A-A-B.com. And on my website, you can sign up for my newsletter, Mindful with Mina, where I share tips on how to build healthy connections and relationships. You can also find a link to my book, but my book is also sold across all retailers. So you can find it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and wherever you shop and buy your books. You can also find me on social media with the name Mina underscore B on Instagram and Mina B on other platforms as well. And then I ask everyone, if you could have anyone listening, get one piece of advice from this episode today, what would it be? Well, I would narrow it down to be wise when you choose friendships. And just remember that just because you know someone, it doesn't mean that they're your friend. People have to earn friendship from you. And just remember that you're deserving of being in quality, safe relationships. Thank you so much for today's combo. 
Thank you. As always, thank you for listening. Check us out on Instagram at Badass Basic Bitch. And thank you to Saw and Sign, our production studio. We'll see you next week. <laughs>